when I got smart and sold my primary residence to start investing in investments that actually made sense, woo, I needed a place to diversify quickly as opposed to some money market or some high reward checking account. Let's face it, turnkey rentals are cool and syndications are great, but they don't come around often. I stumbled upon the American Homeowner Preservation Fund. The owner, George Newmary, once apartment syndicator too, is now sponsoring the podcast. His fund cuts the middlemen out to crowdfund the solution to the mortgage crisis in America. They are empowering you to fund the purchase of distressed mortgages and earn returns that smoke any other passive fund. If you find something else better out there, let me know. Oh yeah, they work with families to keep them in their home after buying the underwater note at a huge discount. It's an opportunity to make an impact on families and communities while earning returns. Start investing with as little as 100 bucks in investinhp.com. If you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. This week, we are going to be doing the 2020 February edition of the Green Sheet Investor Letter. You guys can check out all these letters and past videos at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter. And make sure you check this out on the YouTube channel too. I make a bunch of slides and if you're listening to this on the podcast version, probably going to want to check out a lot of the graphs that I put in there too. It kind of brings another dimension to this. But however you guys want to consume this podcast, YouTube channel, it's all fine with me. And those of you who are high net worth passive investors uh, still using a 401k or a self-directed IRA, you're doing it all wrong, man. I don't have any retirement accounts because I would rather pay taxes on it today when my income is less than in the future, which is very counterintuitive. People will say that you're going to make a lot less in the future, which as you know, we do things a little bit differently at Simple Passive Cash Flow. Why I'd like to not use a retirement plan or what we call qualified money is that I want to avoid the UDFI and UBIT tax. Now, the one way you can do this via retirement account is called a QRP or Qualified Retirement Plan. You guys can check this out at simplepassivecashflow.com slash QRP and also fill out the form there and you can get a free book sent your way to learn more about it. And here is the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. It is February 2020. This is the monthly market update where I collect a bunch of news articles that I've sifted through. You guys can find the show notes on this one at simplepassivecashflow.com slash green10. That's with a one zero, green one zero. And I do this every month, recapping what I've been up to at the end and some of the biggest news headlines that I've been seeing that I think impact macro and some micro markets out there. Again, all these will be posted on the YouTube channel. So if you guys are missing out on the audio or the video version, you guys just checking on this on the auto version. You guys can check out more there too. So if you guys don't know who I am, Lane Kaoka, I still have my PE and you guys probably found me through the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast. But if you guys haven't already joined our Facebook community online, probably find it by going through Simple Passive Cashflow Pui is what we call ourselves. So the biggest news that happened this month, in case you didn't know it, but they signed the Secure Act, which basically robbed millions and millions of dollars from millions of Americans without you guys even knowing. So let's break this down. What is the SECURE Act here? So you remember when the government was kind of going bankrupt and they needed to come up with some new laws to not have that happen? Well, this is the byproduct of it. And what it is, is a way of generating income for the government. 
which is typically not very good for us Americans. And he said in a better way, kind of the, the deal for us got worse. So here's a few bullet points. It expanded the ability to run multiple employer plans for plan years beginning after December 31st, 2020. Had safe harbor rules simplified for plan years beginning after December 31st, 2019. Long-term part-time workers permitted to participate in 401k plans, which applies generally to plan years beginning after December 31st, 2020. Had a three consecutive 12 period, the employee has at least 500 hours of service. It repeal the maximum age for making IRA contributions, which appeals to contributions made for taxable years beginning after December 31st, 2019. It increased the age for minimum, required minimum distributions, which we call RMDs, to 72, and applies to distributions required to be made after December 31st, 2019, with respect to individuals who attain age 70 and a half after such date. If you guys are probably sleeping, you guys are probably just like any other Americans probably didn't pick up anything. Nothing really popped up there. But here it is. There were some good things in there. Frankly, I don't really care because I don't have any retirement plans myself. I'd rather invest with my money and take all the depreciation today and live off that today. So they changed the rule with RMDs after death. So before they got rid of stretch IRAs, you guys can Google all that you want. But basically what you were able to do is say your parents died and they had an IRA, they could give it to you and it would keep going, it would stretch. But now they have this little nasty rule in here that basically requires all IRAs and qualified plans to be distributed within 10 years of death. So you got a limit. So if your parents die and you have this money, you, you got to spend it in 10 years. So the red flag should be going up. Everybody got screwed out there. The Senate version had a five-year limit, by the way, but it turned out to be a 10-year time horizon. There is an exception to the 10-year rule for a surviving spouse. So if your wife or your husband dies, they have the IRA, the 10-year rule doesn't apply. Also exemptions, children under the age of minority. So basically, if you're a kid, once you become an adult, I believe the 10-year rule applies at that point. It doesn't apply if you're disabled, chronically ill, and another individual who is not more than 10 years younger. So look at it from this direction. The government wants to, wants to harvest returns from um, us, the citizens. They want us to pay taxes. They want, they want to get the money out of these silly retirement accounts that they promised everybody that they would have tax-free. But at some point, they're going to tax these things. And the government is just sliding all this revenue up quicker. That's essentially what's happening here. So it's a big, big deal. And this is just a good example of how these tax laws can change. Back in the Clinton days, the inheritance tax was way less. It was like 600000 Today, the inheritance tax is super, super high. You know, that's why you have kind of a red government at this point. But if somebody else gets in there, these rules might change. And one of the biggest things in here is under the RMDs, the biggest exemption is the surviving spouse. They may just choose to get rid of that whole surviving spouse exemption, and which means if your spouse passes away, other than all the, the heartache and the sorrow, you're going to have to pay taxes on their estate, which I think is unfair, but hey, that's life. Uh, one of the cool byproducts of this is if you guys are doing the QRPs, you guys can contribute up to when you file your taxes. So if you're like me and all the cool kids filing your taxes in September and October, you can contribute to your QRP for the previous year all the way up to that point. Just like how you're able to do for your Roth IRAs or IRAs, same kind of rules apply. So the Secure Act kind of opened that up. 
and then now you kind of have annuities in your retirement plans. So uh, that kind of opens up a whole new door for those of you guys you know, playing around with the life insurance, the infinite banking concepts there. If anybody has any questions on this, feel free to type it into the chat, but I'm going to move on to kind of more rapid fire. Headline uh, title is top multifamily markets in 2020 are the small metros and the suburbs. And they're saying as a result of the slower economic growth, apartment demand is projected at 240,000 units in 2020, which is approximately 20% less than that of 2019 estimated 300,000 units. Seabird RE comments. Rent control is sort of making a comeback. There was three laws passed in late 2019 limiting rent increases. If you read into it, it doesn't seem as bad, I guess, depending which side of the table you're standing on, right? Politically, but sometimes they'll put in restrictions where it needs to be based on some higher number that they'll really never get, which I think is sort of fair. But regardless, I mean, if you're investing in California, I don't know why you are doing that or even any other blue state for that matter. Probably not getting the rent to value or 1% rent to value ratios for anything that's not a war zone property or a C-class property or worse. So I don't know why you would be doing that. The U-Haul released their top 20 growth cities for 2019. And this is something I track closely. This is the uh, U-Haul is what you used to move around with when you were broke and you didn't have any money. So it's, it's a good indicator for what the blue collar workforce housing folks are doing when they have to move. A lot of the influx of people are in the Florida state. Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina is number one. Ron Rock, Texas is number four. Yeah, a lot of Florida ones in here. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Manhattan, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Actually, I don't know if this chart is incredibly useful. I mean, it's top growth cities. I'd rather see in more regions and states. That'd be how I would use the U-Haul report. I'm super excited about a new program I'm rolling out that's going to reinvent scammy real estate education programs. So excited, like Marine Kondo cleaning stuff up excited. Announcing my new mastermind program which consists of a closed member site with 27 packed weeks of content, plus bi-weekly group video conference calls to ask whatever. Half of the calls will be centered around granular investing tactics and the other half will be holistic wealth building strategies that I have learned from the wealthy. That's 25 plus hours of group coaching and masterminding. And a secret Facebook group too. I know what you're thinking, not another flippin' Facebook group. Well, this one's going to be different, more intimate, exclusive, and no cheapskates or shady vendors in it. I've been coaching individual clients over the past couple years and I figured out what you guys need and a way to provide it in a cost-effective way. Learn more, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey and join before the first cohort fills up and the introductory pricing blows away. An update on land conservation easements. This is more for the accredited folks who make over two to $300,000 adjusted gross income per year. But for everybody's entertainment, what are land conservation easements? So land conservation easements are a tricky way of getting a tax write-off by designating a piece of land, a land conservation easement, it, no development can go there in the future. By doing this, it becomes sort of a taxable donation. So just like how you take a bag of old clothes out to the Salvation Army and you arbitrarily call that $500, what you're doing here is you're taking a piece of land that has some nice environmental value to it. Like they usually put it around, like Trump will do this around his golf courses. 
and they'll designate it a land conservation easement. But the tricky thing is that they'll like, they have the value of land, but then they'll mark up some kind of like fictitious development plan to basically get an appraised value of anywhere five to 10 times higher than what the land is actually worth. So what guys will do is they'll in invest or basically donate 50 grand and it goes on a taxable donation, but they get like a five to one pop on this stuff. So for every 50 grand they donate, they get $250,000 of deductions, not credits, the deductions. But for a guy and uh, you know making more than $350,000 a year, that's a lot of money at 50 cents at every dollar of tax savings. The news is recently a lot of, this has been getting a lot of unpopular attention and it is kind of fishy. So investors are kind of in a holding pattern how they're doing this. If they really need to get the tax deduction, what they're probably doing is just chancing it and doing it, but they're not being overly aggressive and they're sticking to a boost ratio of five to one or less. So it's kind of one of those things where you don't want to be greedy. Was it pigs get slaughtered, hogs get fat? So you're basically buying charitable donations at 16 cents on a dollar. Couple charts, uh, markets with the largest rent growth year over year from November to November, 2018 to 2019. And the, with the markets with the largest rent decrease, I have these charts flip-flop, but the list you don't want to be on, these are the losers. Number one, Midland, Odessa. Number two, Honolulu. Number three, Bannon Rouge. Number four, Scranton. And number five, Lafayette, Louisiana. And the winners, the top five markets are number one, Pensacola, which went up 8.3%. Phoenix, Arizona went up 7.9%. Number three, Huntsville, Alabama went up 7.1%. Four is Las Vegas, 6.4%. And number five, Portland, Maine, which went up 6.3%. I'm aware of all these markets. Pensacola was kind of a weird one. I got surprised by that one. Someone told me it had to do with, I guess there was like a hurricane there a while back ago, and now this is part of the bounce back. Most markets will just kind of keep pace with inflation, maybe 2 to 3% a year. More of the hot markets will be 5 to 8%. So these are the hot markets here. Amazon's 1.4 million square foot Florida project near Orlando is taken off. But don't be misled by another Amazon fulfillment center. This one's only going to have 500 new full-time positions. And when you're looking at a tertiary market, for example, Huntsville, 500 jobs. Yeah, it's nice, right? But it's not that much. Usually a bigger announcement from a major employer might be more like on the 1,000 magnitude or higher, one to a few thousand jobs. That's a big news. But I think you see a lot of these news sources for real estate, they'll say a certain employer, but at the end of the day, you really have to see what kind of, um, how much, what's the numbers? Well, how many people are going there? And also what is the uh, multiplier effect for like a Boeing or like a car manufacturing plant? You have a lot of the ancillary other providers, like they, they'll build other pieces of the car or the airplane. I don't know how it is with these Amazon fulfillment centers. I don't know, maybe somebody sells snacks at the 7-Eleven or something like that, but I don't think you have a big multiplier on, on that, but I could be wrong. Realtor.com came out with their 2020 housing forecast and they are, yeah, take it for what, what it's worth, right? They're a bunch of realtors. Then again, they do like to spend money on a lot of things like probably a lot of number crunchers and data peoples, but they're saying mortgage rates by the end of the year will be going up a little bit to 3.88%. Average median home price will go up almost 1%. Existing home sales will go down 1.8%. And I believe they're talking more about volume than pricing. And then home ownership rate, 64.6%. 
and single family home starts, which are new builds, will be going up to 6%. And another site what I found from our friends at Realtor.com are, is that millennials make up over 46% of the mortgage originations, up from 43% last year, according to Realtor.com. So maybe the millennials are finally moving out of mom and dad's basement and getting into the game. It's about time. We have some more news on that later. Another news headline says U.S. monthly volume and pricing trends by sector. This is posted up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash invest the letter. And then you can drill into the February report from there. Howard Hughes spends about a half a billion dollars in Houston and his portfolio includes the former headquarters of Enarco Petroleum and ConocoPhillips plus a warehouse and developable land. A Seattle office report says that in Seattle, there's strong market dynamics continue to support the Metro's rapid expansion with a saturated tech sector extending and shaping the current real estate landscape. So yeah, Seattle has a lot of tech jobs. It's a big white collar workforce. Apparently they work in offices, right? Go figure. But there's a little chart there showing the growth of that, more of that office space employment. So here was that U.S. monthly volume and pricing trends by sector. So you have the office, industrial, retail, and apartment space shown. A lot of you guys are into technical analysis. I don't know if you guys are any good at it. I was never. But you have the price growth, which is the line, but then you have the volume bars underneath it. And usually when you have a lot of volume and you have movement, then that's a, usually a positive signal that you can really look at as a trend. And when you have movement on low volume, that's typically a, maybe a false positive trend. A little map here of the largest employer in every state. Some of the more popular ones where our community is mostly based out of uh, Washington is Boeing. Oregon is Providence Health. California is the University of California. That's a little weird. Nevada is MGM Resorts. We don't care too much about those other states. Hawaii is Altered Industrial. I never heard of them. But pretty much everywhere southeast of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, North Carolina, I think that's Virginia. Everything south of there is Walmart, or the biggest employer in the state. So a little bit of trivia there. So I was reading some articles on newer trends in apartments, and some of this was more on the A-class side. I'll probably call this the A-plus side. I mean, these, these are like the $1,500 to $2,500 one-bedroom apartments. So they're saying like, what are the new amenities that are going in? And although this has nothing to do with stuff I buy, which is the more workforce housing, it is interesting to see what is going in there. So they're saying like the Pelton bikes, the ones that have the little computer screen that apparently people are going crazy over recently. They have gyms in the apartments. They want the tenants to feel special. I don't know what that means, but more like white glove service. I know a lot of people have kind of been taking my advice and selling your primary residence because it doesn't make you any money and invest the money instead. And a lot of people are really liking the apartment life. You got the pool. If you got kids, you don't have to worry about cleaning anything. They like the pool. You got a gym. There's a pool and it's a lot cheaper too. Don't believe that nonsense of renting is just throwing money down the drain. I mean, whoever said that's probably stuck at the day job. 
you don't want to listen to that guy. Impact of the next recession on the multifamily market is the next uh, topic. This came from the U.S. Census Bureau data. So in the green line, it's showing that the vacancy rate, which typically is between 6 and 11%, Obviously, after the recession, kind of spiked a little bit, a little over 10%, but slowly but surely the past 10 years, it's been coming down to almost all-time lows for about 7% or so. And homeowner vacancy is usually about 1% to 3%. So I pulled a chart of the stock market here. I honestly don't really follow the stock market stresses me out but from time to time i like to know what's happened just so i can kind of poke fun at people who like trade stocks and options and think they know what they're doing yeah i mean pretty much at all-time highs where we were in year 2000 here market u.s market cap divided by gdp is what i'm looking at so i don't know if you guys have bosses that shop at macy's but they might be really sad because nearly 30 of the retailers 641 locations will close following a decline in comparable sales through the holiday season. And we've been following this trend the last few months. Go and listen to past investor letters. I think it was Forever 21. I can't think of the other ones, but a lot of these storefronts are kind of going out of business. It's the whole click versus brick battle. Get it? Click on your Amazon versus anyway. Another article that I put up is the retail property taxes is likely to rise. And so Pier 1 announced that it would close up to 450 stores. The electronic store Bose that a lot of you guys like to wear and be antisocial as you go out in public will close the remaining 119 retail stores. But it's not all doom and gloom because if you shop at the discount re retailer Five Below, they will be opening 180 stores soon. I actually thought that place was like a frozen yogurt place at one time. And then I went in there and I found them otherwise. So Ponzi scheme alert, $700 million from the income store. Now, we did a podcast maybe about a couple months ago about buying websites. Sort of like how you buy a distressed house, you buy a distressed website that is sort of performing, you make it a little bit better. So the income store, if I understand their business model right, was this sort of like a trading, you could, you could buy and sell websites on there. I don't know exactly what they were doing, but apparently they took everybody's money and this kind of story came out, which is kind of a shame. You know, I, I'm all for getting these marketplaces open so you know, entrepreneurs can get involved. But it's times like this where like it makes everybody gun shy, where you get one back actor to kind of spoil it for everyone. We were talking a little bit about the millennials possibly moving out and finally buying homes. So there was a study that came out by the Deutsche Bank research that the medium age of home buyers is now 47 years old and that went up from 31 to 47 and there's a little graph there that shows you know way back when in 1980 the median home buyer age was 30 years old and it's just been going up year after year after year a lot more since the financial crisis i mean again i guess people are having kids a lot later another graph millennial share of the U.S. housing market. It's small and shrinking. So this graph is showing the millennial home ownership slump, share of American real estate owned by each generation by medium cohort age. So it's showing how the baby boomers are, they, they, they love that home ownership stuff. And then the Generation X folks, they're kind of hitting their apex, it looks like right now. And then the millennials are kind of behind.
some new trends in apartments or in housing in general are bigger showers so you can co-shower. I don't know, maybe you have two people in there. I don't know what that's all about. But it was interesting. Like we had a more of a nicer apartment, more of a B plus asset. And what we're having to do there is remove a lot of the bathtubs because people just don't use it. They'd rather have a more fancier tiled shower than have a bathtub. They'll pay more for that. So I don't know if they're going to fit two or more people in there, but the, the showers are a little bit more popular, more modern these days. Maybe that has to do with people just being too busy. They just got to go in and out. They can't put rose petals around their bathtub and drink wine. They don't have that time. Obviously, I'm just joking there. Some of you guys need to, uh, to laugh a little bit. It's late in the day here. And then multi-generational housing is becoming more popular. And Hilton's launching this new brand called Eglit Temple. So it's supposed to cater towards ambitious modern traveler, whatever that means. I guess they have iPhones or something like that. Four strategies for 2020 success in class B multifamily space. I've kind of moved on from class C properties. They're really difficult. They never pay. I think it's just better to be more in a B class type of asset. Unless you have a really, really severely under market and you're going to do heavy value add, like more than five, six grand per unit, rehab per unit. But this article said there's four strategies that they cited. First one was new markets. So looking in markets that people aren't looking in. Number two was employing tech and i didn't really understand this whole tech angle they're saying like oh you have to use alexa and all you know and all those things all that amazon stuff and you don't put that in class b and c properties that'll grow legs and you'll, you'll you won't find it anymore but maybe they're talking more about the smart thermostats it didn't say saying employees because in these type of areas your employees are very important the leasing agent you pay them on salary in apartments and then regulations because of like all the new rental control laws just being up, up on all that stuff very important i recently went to a mastermind and a family office gentleman came in talked to us about a few trends that are happening said that in the year 2025 there will be more people turning 65 than babies born so that means there's going to be a lot of more older people soon but don't go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash alf and start to learn how to make your own assisted living facility like how a lot of you guys will do that is a huge huge undertaking and something I tried to do and I just backpedaled. And plus the silver wave isn't there yet. Like a lot of the baby boomers are finally retiring. It's going to be another decade or two until they really start to use that assisted living facilities. Another big trend that they cited was the race for 5G. And I don't know how to say it pronounced right, like Huawei, but there's this big, big thing versus them in the United States where they don't want to use their technology because they think they're going to steal from us. I don't know if that's true, if they're really going to steal from us, but you know, being from America, uh, probably isn't good if they win that race. I mean, it's sort of the modern day race to the moon. It's riddled with backdoors, Lane. So don't trust it? Don't trust it. All right. Good thing. We're still getting 3G here in Hawaii, so it'll be a while. <laughs> Another thing that I found interesting from the presentation was, I think in the year 2026, there's going to be more electric cars than gas cars. That's sort of the inflection point. And, you know, a lot of these guys are family office money. And if you've never heard of these terms, private equity, family office, and venture capital, private equity is kind of the syndications, people who are a million dollar to $5 million network, where family offices are more on the scale of 50 to 100 plus million dollars, big money. Housing market falling short by nearly 4 million homes as demand grows. So this is just more of a general article 
article that's just reiterating, look guys, the country needs housing and especially housing for folks who don't make $100,000 or more. And we're continuing to build new product, but the pace of um, population growth is increasing and it's not keeping up with the pace for demand. And that's why I think why a lot of us fall back to real estate because it's sort of a commodity and you'll always need it. New podcasts and articles that I put together in the month of January. First was the financial freedom for dentists. So I have a lot of dentists in the mastermind program, like almost seven or nine of them, I realized. So I got a bunch of their thoughts together and I removed the identities and zip codes and social security numbers. And I put some of the, the thoughts there and it might be more of a dentist thing, but it might also apply if you're a doctor or any other high paid professional too. Another article I wrote was the private money lending top mistakes. I put it at simplepassivecashflow.com slash lend mistakes. You can also check out the dentist article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash dentist. We had an accredited investor come on the podcast and do a coaching call with me. Appreciate when you guys do that. I, a lot of you guys really like to watch vicariously. You know, for high-paid professionals, there's really many different scenarios that I have a lot of these coaching calls in the YouTube channel. Um, I have them in index in a section if you guys want to check out some of the past ones. Yeah, check those out and see if they help you. But just know that not all situations are alike. And the biggest part of this at the end of the day is deal flow. What are you going to do, right? Like you read that rich dad, poor dad book and you're like, all right, we're going to take over the world. But what are you going to do? You don't know, right? He doesn't say anything because that kind of changes all the time. Who do you work with? December, 2019, they changed some borrowing standards. Some of you guys are still buying those rental properties or turnkey rentals. There was some changes in how they calculate, I think, debt to income. You guys can check out there. All these links are again on simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter. Number five here, habits. If you guys miss the goals webinar. I believe the webinar was simplepassivecashflow.com 2020-launch. If you guys want to go and watch that webinar again, but I made a little sub article on habits and I had Richard Wilson on podcast 100. 84. He is a family office guy who manages some millionaire families. You guys can check that one out at simplepassivecashflow.com slash family office. Catching up on the chat box here. One person mentioned, or they're asking my opinion on the previous retail malls, at least metropolitan areas, possibly converting to food halls, eateries, or experience halls. I'm looking into like commercial, commercial centers. These are the more ones with your haircut place, your food place, grocery store, because I think you're always going to have to go to those. And that's why Amazon had the insight to buy Whole Foods, a brick and mortar. At the end of the day, I mean, still the minority of transactions are done online. I think the problem is the, the more mallish, you know, your cube malls, not the big boxes like the Best Buy and those type of areas, but going to the mall, that experience is going away. And yeah, I think you point out a good thing here, like food hall eateries and experience hubs are definitely coming coming more online. Right, where like the old 90s retail mall, that's obviously kind of dying, but now people want more experiences or something family friendly or just a variety of food options. It's kind of like a one-stop place. I guess it just kind of reinvents the idea of what going to the mall is. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I was just wasting a lot of time a couple of weeks ago during the holidays watching this, like these guys went into an abandoned mall on YouTube. Probably find an abandoned mall videos, but yeah, I mean, people want more fun things. Top golf, people love that stuff.
stuff. The whole, if you've ever been to Vegas, guys like to do that. Well, I know you guys are thinking something else at this point, but like the construction equipment, like you, you hop in construction equipment, you just, you know, move dirt around, that kind of stuff. Or like escape rooms. I like the escape rooms. I mean, Vegas, like drive a tank or, you know, various yeah. experiences. It's kind of unique that you can't get in a lot of places. Right. I know that they call them de-boxing too, where they take a big space and they'll chop it up into these little food halls too. That's another term. I'm more of a spectator with that stuff. I mean, I kind of see it. I kind of watch it. But I think as an investor, I try and stick to certain things that I know. But eventually, I think at some point, multifamily apartments will just get so saturated by people who think that they can do it. Because I guess it's kind of true. You can kind of just stick a property manager and you can get lucky and it's easy. And that's why a lot of people do it and that's why a lot of the dumb money goes there so eventually things will correct and apartments won't be as good cap rates as other things but i'm going to move into more of what i've been doing other than spelling things wrong like how i normally do but these are the six needs that Tony Robbins always talks about. So this is how I always break it up. The way I'm getting growth, I'm trying to get to know my investors better. I probably had about three, four calls with investors every day for the past month. I think everybody wants to get on their 2020 goals and book a call, but we haven't had a chance to connect. I'm trying to connect with everybody at least once. So I'll go ahead and do that. And then I'm also planning the tours, going hiking, then do a luau in Hawaii. And you guys can check that out, simplepassacashflow.com slash hui3. That's February 7th, 14th to the 17th. The way I'm trying to contribute back to others, you know, in those calls, I always try and make it a point to give some kind of referral or critical feedback to anybody because I didn't really have that when I was building my portfolio and I think a lot of people don't realize like I mean I bought my first rental in 2009 and I bought my next one in 2011 I think or 12 but for like about five years it was like watching grass grow and I wish somebody would have told me don't buy 11 rental properties they're a pain in the butt I wish somebody would have told me that. Number three, significance. So I've kind of been turned on to this whole family office concept where you kind of work with a smaller number of clients. So I've been kind of focusing on maybe turning into a family office where I work with people who are one to $10 million net worth folks, where I'm sort of the consultant. I'm in the middle of the wheel doing the wealth planning, estate planning, wealth management, tax planning, trust and corporate services, family governments. And then, you know, what is the meaning behind your existence? like a charity philanthropy you can't just get a tax guy right on your team because the tax guy doesn't talk to the deal guy who doesn't talk to the wealth management guy right it's good that you get specialists on your team and you should but there's a reason why there are specialists they don't have the big picture a way i'm getting uncertainty and the reason why i put this there and i really don't i'm really like certainty and i know all we all do we all like to stay in our comfort zone but i'm gonna try do the first multi-day event in hawaii I've been trying to plan it this past week, which is getting to be pretty close up to the wire, but that's just how I do things. But it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I think we got probably about over 30 people coming, so it should be good. How am I getting certainty in my life? So we had a gentleman, Mike Zolnick, come to our mastermind group to kind of talk about how do you grade different investments? And he kind of has this great idea of quadrant one, two, three, four, of investment grade versus speculative grade investments. And assuming that the performer are using good assumptions and not just bogus 
you know, you can kind of break it down. What kind of investment philosophy do you have? Are you just want to go balls to the wall and just do a high growth? Or do you just want to do cash flow stuff? And should you do that? If your net worth is under half a million dollars, you got to take on some risk, right? If your goals are bigger. Number six, love and connection. So I've been consciously trying to book four trips a year now that I don't have a day job. It's hard because I go traveling all the time to check out deals. And But I encourage everybody to plan vacations. I know that sounds really silly, but most people don't do it. Because if not, you can just be, you know, Kobe Bryant and just disappear off the face of the earth. It's all for nothing. And with some of the resistance or distractions that I've been facing, that I'm sure everybody else is, the heck, it's February, right, guys? You're one fourth way through the year and you had all these goals. You probably forgot the damn things. You know, <laughs> is February going to be like January? Is March going to be like January? Other than that, no exceptions, living a good life. Things are good. Some junk I did buying. I bought this like doorstop. It's kind of heavy. It's a Boolean cube. You guys can get the links on the website. And I've been like trying to buy a lot of things that are automated. So I had these crazy automations with Alexa and trying to automate everything. But I found these super simple. You just press the button based on how long you want it to turn on. So the coffee pot, I'll just turn it on for an hour so it doesn't go on. And I've been reading this book, Willpower Doesn't Work by Benjamin Hardy. So cover your ears if you like to read books, but here it is in one minute. As human beings, we are terrible at executing. We need to give ourselves every single chance that we can get to hit success. And a lot of that is building systems around making us successful. So what time you're waking up, what do you, how do you set the table for your day the next day? I just like reading the book and I would kind of listen subconsciously and they would mention certain examples and it would like trigger different things for me to change or new systems to put in place. I can't really think of any right now. I would recommend it. It's a pretty quick read. No Easter egg for you guys today. No happy things. Here's the legal disclaimer. And that brings us to the end of the February report. That's it. We'll talk to you guys next time. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.